Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. In our cases this week, three generations of a family under assault by one man. Police say that he killed his longtime girlfriend, nearly killed the woman's grown son, and then allegedly kidnapped the victim's grandson. The surviving son jumped in his car, followed the attacker and called 911 to intercept this man and save the child. But first, the gruesome murder of a model and influencer, Abby Choi, days after her disappearance, police announced the arrest of her former husband, his brother, and both of his parents. The suspects were apprehended after the model's remains were found. Police say they found her skull in a soup pot covered with vegetables. We are recording this on Wednesday, March 1st of 2023. Our guest today is Rich McHale, a former police officer with the Middle Township Police Department in South Jersey. He's the author of Where is Mark? About the abduction of Mark Heimbaugh, a case that we have both worked on. Rich is a friend and a friend of the show. Rich, welcome back. How are you? Good morning, Anna. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm doing fine. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. So our first case is out of Hong Kong. And, you know, this thing, this case made um, such huge headlines everywhere because of the brutality of the case. And occasionally we do do international cases. So we're talking here about a millionaire model, a socialite and an influencer. And she has been murdered, allegedly also chopped up by her ex-husband and his family. Why? Rich Police say it's because the family was mad that she, who apparently had been bankrolling their lifestyle, that that was about to change. And so the arguments, according to police, were about money. Doesn't it always come down to something like that? It is. It is. Uh, greed uh, is, is a big part of that. And some of the things I was reading about Abby is that she was a very kind and giving person. And this is an ex where uh, she was really carrying them beyond the relationship that she had with this man 
and his family. So they were they were serious. It sounded like they were really taking advantage of her during the relationship. And then that that uh, taking advantage of, if you will, carried over uh, beyond their relationship when Abby moved on and uh, unofficially married another man. And uh, yeah. in, in addition, I wanted to say that uh, it sounded like there's a lot of uh, jealousy of her success as this model and influencer. Yeah, what's interesting is that, you know, she and her first husband, the ex here, they come from radically different worlds. And we see this a lot, that there can be a problem where one comes from a very wealthy, influential family, and the other one does not. It's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's a classic story for centuries through the ages of the difficulty of those things. And in this case, you know, they got married very young. Um, she is the daughter of a very wealthy Chinese uh, developer. He's in the construction business, and she also makes her own money as a model. Um, she's on the cover of magazines, and she had, you know, her own businesses. So, uh, we don't know the details of the divorce settlement and how much she actually had to sustain them, but we're being told that, you know, she was paying for a, a condo that she had bought the ex and his family, and they were all living in a $9 million condominium. And the argument here apparently was, according to police, that she was going to sell that property. But police say and friends say she had promised to take care of her ex and his family and get them a new place to live. So this apparently was the argument. So let's get into the details a little bit more about her life and what we know about this case. So Abby Choi was 28 years old. She was worth about $12 million, and she was the daughter of a very wealthy businessman. Now, Abby was the mother of four. She had two children with her ex-husband, who is Alex Kwong. Abby married Alex when she was 18. The couple have a son, age 10, and a daughter, eight. So they have two children together. This is going to be very important when we get to the why, the motivation in all of this, according to authorities. Alex and his family obviously didn't have nearly as much money or access as Abby was born into. So as you mentioned, Rich, Abby remarried. So she moved on and she has more children. What's interesting here is, as you said, there was a wedding ceremony, but her marriage to her next husband, her current husband, apparently was not official. I guess they either didn't get a license or whatever it was, wasn't officially recognized by the government, which makes this interesting because the theory is, um, the theory is rich that by killing Abby, the children, her children with the ex would inherit her money. Therefore, the ex and his family would then control the fortune. Correct. Correct. Um, in addition to that, I'm sure there was a lot of pressure uh, on Abby from the new relationship to, to distance herself from the ex. So in addition to, to the greed and jealousy that you have, from the, the previous relationship, this new relationship that she's in, although uh, it's unofficial, unofficial marriage, uh, I'm sure there was pressure from that side as well to kind of get some separation and and become more a part of his family and his life. Yes. Because mean, meanwhile, she's this huge public figure. Yes, exactly. She is a public figure. And her new husband... He also, he had a background more similar to hers. He was the heir 
to a chain of noodle noodle shops. His family was in that business, a big chain across Hong Kong. So they seemed at least a little bit, perhaps, better paired. Now, at the time of her murder, her ex-husband was unemployed and under investigation for another crime. And her former father-in-law had been a police officer, but according to reports I read, had been dismissed from the force for allegations of sexual assault. So... There's a lot going on in the ex's family. There, there is a lot going on there. And uh, it goes back to uh, from their side of it. What would also so we know they're they're uh, um, looking for the support from her for the for the uh, apartment. And, and not just this case, but in, in homicide cases in general, Anna, I always look at uh, the defendant when they're sitting in court in front of the judge after everything is all settled down and they finally realize that their life is over. I mean, because you did, you remove this woman from, from life and dismember her doesn't mean your problems are going to go away. They've only amplified themselves. And, and in this case, uh, um, you know, they've totally destroyed the, their entire, the ex's entire family as a result of this. Yes. And now you have her children with this man, without a mother, and if he ends up being convicted of this murder, they will be without their father. So how is anybody better off? And and the in-laws, right, who didn't want to lose their $9 million condo and didn't want the, the money train to end, really, how is this better now? You're going to be in a Chinese prison? Really? This is better than your $9 million condo? Or what if she cut that in half? Oh, my gosh, you have to downsize to a $3, 4000000 million condo. And uh, again, you know, the children and then the grandchildren down the road. I mean, it just uh, for generations, uh, multiple families and people have been affected by this. Very, yeah, very poor this decision. Is such a huge case here. I mean, it's been really on every news organization as I was looking up the details. And then and then all of the published reports here were leading me back to Hong Kong and many of the reports were in Cantonese. So I couldn't follow up with a lot of it, but I forwarded those articles to uh, several family members and asked them if they could help me out to make sure I wasn't missing any of the details in this case or in the translation. So the, the thing here also that baffles me and we're going to get into the whole like the, the the alleged premeditation and the dismemberment and the body parts everywhere but rich there was one thing that i read that stuck out to me and i know it's probably a minor case a minor point but i wonder if not so her former brother-in-law her ex's brother worked for her as a chauffeur as a driver yeah i mean this woman was really taking care of this the ex's family uh, beyond anything that that the average person would be able to do, and she had the financial means to do that, but I mean they were really taking advantage of her, you know, beyond not just her financial means, but you know, still being involved in her life uh, as a driver. So, um, you know, I, what you know, what do you say in this case, and and uh, and her generosity, you know, do you not be so generous? Uh, um, there's just well, a lot Rich, going on. 
Rich, are you at all suspicious about the possibility that the brother-in-law, again, he's charged in this, whether he provided the opportunity and the intel on what she was up to, where she would be, and when she would be the most vulnerable? I'm sure, I'm sure, without a doubt. Uh, I mean, he had that close contact with her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he knew everything, where maybe she would be a little less likely to share the details of her everyday life with her ex or her in-laws. The chauffeur, driver, who's got to get her around is going to know where she needs to be when. So I found that, you know, it's like, what is this? It's like a family business of crime here. <laughs> There's an extreme level of trust that goes into your driver. There's somewhat of your somewhat your security, your eyes and ears, not just getting you to places, but uh, not putting you into dangerous situations and and uh, being able to pick you up and in, in secure areas. So, you know, there's a high level of trust that goes with being the driver of, of an influential person. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just surprising to me that the ex's family had so much access to this woman. Yeah. And I guess, again, all over the children, all over the children. So days after she was reported missing. Authorities discovered, and you were referring to this earlier, I mean, the, the, the body parts are everywhere. So her legs were found in the refrigerator, her legs in the refrigerator of a rental unit on the other side of town. Her skull and some rib bones were later identified in soup pots confiscated from the same apartment. Apparently, this rental unit had been rented a few weeks before the murder. And it didn't appear that the family was living there. So what was the purpose of this unit? The, uh, uh, Anna, as you're saying that, it comes to my mind that their mindset was that they were totally going to get away with this, that the woman was just going to disappear. They were going to dismember her completely and be no evidence that they were involved in it and that their life was just going to go on. I, I, I'm beside myself that someone would actually think that it's not at some point going to come back to you. Right. And a former cop. Yes. The father-in-law, the ex-father-in-law is a former cop. I mean, he should know better about investigations. If anyone should be able to cover up a crime, it should be someone with that level of skill. I think when you go down a road, uh, uh, as this family seemed to to have already gone with, uh, committing crimes and theft and, and other areas. Uh, I, I just think they, they get to a point where a, a point of no return and there's no doing it the right way uh, at that point, removing themselves from this woman's life uh, and their and her financial support. And at that point, I guess you're almost willing to do anything to carry on your, your game, if you will. Yeah, it's, I think you're right about that. I think we see that a lot. You're in you're in the middle of the storm. You're in the eye of the storm. You've created this mess. And now you feel that if you turn around, you've already done the damage, that if you turn around at this point, it will only be worse. And there's no way out but to continue forward with your really bad plan. And that's such a shame. Because I always say to myself, you know, they had not just them, but any criminal that takes someone else's life and plans something like this. I always say, how many opportunities did this person have to say, oh, you know what? Let me not do this. So <laughs> many opportunities to stop yourself. And yet this this rarely happens. As giving and as nice as Abby seemed to be, I mean, if they had additional problems, it sounded like she would be willing to work with them 
whether it be lend them more money or uh, vouch for them in a business venture, whatever the case may be, so that they could get their lives in order and continue, you know, uh, away from the relationship, but still in a positive way. They had already gone down this road and, and there just was no turning back at that point. Yeah, it, it really, I, I mean, what I'm amazed at is the level of information that, that we were getting about what was found where. So um, the last day that Abby Choi was seen alive was Tuesday, February 21st of 2023. She failed to pick up one of the children at school, and the next day she was reported missing. Now, she shared two other children with her current husband, Chris Tam, um, also a son and a daughter. And so, you know, even though she had been traveling recently, she had recently um, been in Paris for Ellie Saab's spring summer couture collection. I mean, this is the kind of life she lived. She was a true jet setter. If you looked at her Instagram accounts, she always was in, you know, the most expensive designer clothes. She was everywhere you needed to be. So she led that kind of life. So when someone like that disappears, when anyone disappears, you know, you are definitely worried about a mom not picking up a child at school. So authorities at this point, they brought in a special unit in Hong Kong. It's called the Flying Tigers. And they are a lot like our SWAT teams here in the U.S. They specialize in hostage recovery, counterterrorism, and a lot of underwater searches. Remember, Hong Kong is an island, so there's, you know, a lot of um, crimes, obviously, sure. of people coming sure. in and out and boats, constant, constant. <clears throat> um, so that's when detectives realized that a rental unit had been rented by Cao Kuang. Cao Kuang is the father-in-law. Really? You're going to rent it in your name? <laughs> Uh, that that is why I think, uh, in their minds, in their planning of this pre-planning, that they were going to absolutely make this woman disappear completely, and they were just going to go on with their lives to the point that there he puts it in his name is not worried about covering up uh, the ownership or the rental of the apartment at that time. Yeah. Uh, one one thing you know, uh, Abby in this. Uh, new lifestyle or developing lifestyle that clearly separates itself from what her ex is involved in at this point, you're, you're saying why? And I uh, look back at the information and they were both 18 when they got married. So it's almost like as an adult, that's all she knew and, and what she learned about being an adult uh, and, and the ways to take care of things uh, learned with this uh, ex at the time. And, and I think that's the, the problem she had separating herself from this man and his family, that she started so young in life with him and started developing her adult uh, uh, ways, if you will. And, and um, this is this created a problem now when she needed to move, go on with her life. She's clearly uh, much more successful and headed in a different direction, but can't separate herself from this bum, if you will. <laughs> Getting right to it there in South Jersey. Well, well this you, know, you know, at this point, the guy is committing thefts. Um, you know, he he's, has no future whatsoever. He's unemployed at the time. This woman is just, you know, killing it. And they clearly don't belong together uh, at this point in life. And I can't think of a better way to describe them than other than being a bum. 
<laughs> you know, what I find so fascinating always about cops, especially you, Rich, because I've known you so long, is that um, you're also part counselors. You know, you're all like you look at things, everything boils down. You know, you meet people at the worst of times, right? It's a horrible situation, but you boil it down to like, really? Why were you with this person? How did you think this was going to end? Well, I mean, we're because of our jobs, we're put into injected into those situations and it's like deal with it. So there's no turning and looking at a book or there's no magic potion or I can't push a button. I mean, you have to interact with people and they may be at the worst point in their lives, but you're trying to help them look at the positive side of resolving the situation that the immediate situation that they're in. And, and you, you start from there and work your way out and, you know, that's that's where this, uh, I guess, belief comes from. So her ex-husband, Alex Kwong, as you said, was unemployed at the time. And there was an arrest warrant for him because he failed to show up for a trial in which he is accused of stealing jewelry and gold from seven different people between May of 2013 and January of 2015. So starts to sound like um, he was up up to no good for a long time there. A long yeah. time. And um, Abby's friends uh, told the Associated Press and other news organizations that Abby had good relationships with the families of her current husband and her ex-husband and that she planned, again, to totally support them. So back to the Flying Tigers. Uh, they were deployed in this, looking for Abby. There was um, a lot of video that I saw of them searching different uh, bodies of water. I guess they got reports that she could be there. So once they found this rental unit on the other side of the island that was rented to the father-in-law, Kwa Kwong, then that's when everything started changing. So on February 24th, investigators discovered the human remains in that rental unit, along with a meat slicer, an electric saw, and some of Abby's personal items. Not only like her personal remains, her human right. remains, but her things as well. How incriminating is this? Well, I mean, they're at the point where they're going to dissolve the evidence, if you will, meaning her body. So they haven't gotten to the point where they have to get rid of that part of the evidence for dealing with her body parts first. Um, you know, and I, I, other than taking her life, how, how do you bring yourself to dismember a body. And I, I, you know, that just, it baffles me. And uh, I did a little research on that. And, you know, uh, it, people that are able, that commit murders that are able to do that uh, are desensitized by a, a previous life, whether they're a doctor or a butcher, they have that type of background. Uh, another uh, example would be uh, they're, they've had a previous trauma and they're expressing this, um, suppression of trauma uh, through this dismemberment. And then the third one is it's just a, a psychotic episode, uh, you know, where they're outside of their, their rightful mind and they're able able to do such a heinous act. Um, but, you know, in this case, uh, one of the main things that the family was trying to do was get rid of the evidence, uh, get rid of any anything that would connect her to them. Um, besides the psychotic or past trauma, whatever it is that brought them to be able to dismember this woman's body. It's beyond me. I, 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 that's, 
you know, right? it's just not humane. It, it, of course it's not. No. And so, you know, I was trying to figure out like, why were there all these body parts? And it hadn't even occurred to me that you, you were like, if we can completely, if they can completely remove all evidence of her and police never find her evidence, then she just disappeared and it can't be traced back. Unless of course your name, unless you're the one who rented the place and inside your new rental unit are all the bits and pieces of your former daughter-in-law. So when they found her legs and the other parts in this apartment, they were still worried. Um, the police announced that they were still searching for the rest of Abby. They were concerned they needed to find the rest of Abby, which included her head, her torso, and her hands. So um, the police described that in this rental unit, they had covered it with some kind of a the inside with a tarp or a canvas, um, and that they had found raincoats and gloves as if they had set up a makeshift butcher shop. Yes. Yes. And, you know, you remove all that and, and you think you're going to get away with it, but a crime lab is going to be able to find DNA. You know, you're not going to be able to totally rid yourself of all evidence of this person because of DNA, because of blood evidence. Um, and, you know, the the apartment was in the dad's name, so fingerprints aren't going to be an issue. But the blood evidence, you're not you're never going to completely rid yourself in that apartment, especially, like you said, in the form of a butcher shop. Okay, you get the tarps and you get the raincoats. They have to be disposed of. You know, how are you going to dispose of them? You just throw them in a dumpster? Uh, you know, uh, in in police cases this is where we backtrack and we we look for the disposal of those items and uh you know put the crime back together and uh you, you just you don't you're never going to get away from uh removing yourself from this crime it's just not going to happen so two days later they find the rest of abby they find Abby's head and ribs in a cooking pot. Authorities reported that the skull had a hole in the back by the right ear, and they believe that may have been the fatal blow that actually killed Abby, because now they have to figure out cause of death. Police confirmed the arrest of three suspects, including Alex Kwong. So Alex is, of course, the ex-husband. Alex's older brother, Anthony, his father, Kwao Kong, and then mother, Jenny Lee. Alex Kwong was arrested a day later. He wasn't picked up immediately with this group. He was arrested a day later on February 25th after attempting to run from police. He was reportedly trying to board a speedboat to get off the island. He had $64,000 in cash. And here's the more incredible thing. He had more than $500,000 in luxury watches. Where is he going? Yeah. You know, obviously, uh, they're predisposed to commit these crimes, to be able to commit these crimes, but they're not, their level of intelligence about actually getting away with it ultimately is not there. It's yeah. just not there. It's because it's not going to happen. It, it's, there's just too much involved. And uh, as you were talking, I'm just thinking to myself, um, if the, let's say we don't have any of this information and the girl's just missing at this point, the first person they're going to go to is the ex-husband. Uh, you know, they may, there may be an, uh, an initial inquiry with, with the present husband, but they're going to see very, almost immediately that he's not the source of this issue. 
and they're going to go right to the ex and his family. Yeah, and the the father-in-law is a former cop, you know? So definitely uh, uh, access to a lot of things there because of what he used to do. Now, there's a fifth suspect in all of this, an Mm -hmm. unidentified 47-year-old woman who was reportedly in a relationship with the ex-father-in-law. Very complicated here. She has not been charged, but it's alleged that she may have helped the father-in-law rent that apartment where Abby's remains were found. Um, And then she apparently rented another apartment where they hid the ex-husband, Alex. So an apartment for everything. One for hiding, one for killing, right? Apartments with different Different causes here. And clearly so, a lot of pre-planning involved in this case. A lot a lot went into that. Yes. So now Abby is dead. Her former family is behind bars. It seems many of them are. And these are the charges. Alex, who's 28, and his brother Anthony, who's 31, and the father, Cow, who's 65, are charged with Abby Choi's murder. Alex's mother... Jenny Lee, who would be the uh, former mother-in-law, has been charged with perverting the course of justice. All four family members have yet to enter a plea and are being held without bond. Our next case is out of Denver, Colorado, where a man is accused of murdering his longtime girlfriend, attacking her son, and then abducting that woman's grandson. The name of the murder victim here has not been released along with the son's name or the child's name. Um, But clearly, you know, this is a horrific crime that has occurred. One person is dead and two other members of that family were severely traumatized and nearly killed by what happened. And one of the reasons I want to discuss this case, Rich, is because I noticed as I was researching this that the news media in Denver has labeled this a domestic This is the term that they used. I I saw this a few times. As if somehow, if we are slapping a label on this uh, and this description, somehow it means that this is a crime that we don't need to concern ourselves with, that it's an isolated incident. And I, I know that we've made a lot of progress in the world of domestic violence. I know a lot of progress has been made, but Rich, you know, every time I hear that term and I don't hear it often, it really undoes me. It undoes me. I think it's disrespectful to the victims. It's just horrific. Uh, well, I'm here in New Jersey, and I know that in the state of New Jersey, it's taken very seriously. And, um, you know, the, the, si- the signs of injuries, automa- you know, automatically uh, require law enforcement to take action. And uh, although it's not in these reports, you know, I have to wonder what was the history between um, the the deceased victim and the accused in this case leading up to this. I saw um, a short video on one of the newscasts of the neighborhood. This is a uh, middle class, uh, your, you know, neighborhood. They were, they were not lacking of uh, financial means. I mean, it was a, it was a nice neighborhood in the suburbs of Denver and, uh, but, but a very heinous multiple crimes actually, uh, and, and before you get started, uh, the, one of the things that jumped out at me is as a police department, as a police officer, when we get the initial call, we, we have two crime scenes. One of them is in motion, meaning the fleeing suspect, but you also have the shooting location. So there's a lot to deal with, uh, and, and the officers did, uh, did do that. 
Oh, it's huge. I mean, it really, one crime scene is unfolding live while the other crime scene is being investigated and you're trying, you know, make sure, is there any sign of life? Can any help be rendered to this woman? Um, it definitely resources were at, at opposite ends because when they finally did catch the accused killer here, it was about 30 miles away from the scene of the crime. And it happened on an interstate where he was finally it, stopped. Yeah, they used the uh, uh, str speed strikes, uh, spikes to take his uh, tires out and uh, render the vehicle uh, useless. And I know you're going to get to it, but the motive of this guy when he, before he entered the house, what, what, was, what were his true intentions? I'm sure you're going to get to that. Uh, I don't, uh, frankly, I don't know. I, do you? Did it become well, clear to you? He took he took the grandchild. So I'm wondering if there was some some kind of uh, custody dispute before this led to a shooting. And really, uh, the girlfriend died, but the son almost died as well. But it seemed like the gun jammed or failed or was out of ammunition. Otherwise, we'd have two homicides. That's what I mean. It's such a traumatic um, event that that the two survived the the woman's son and grandson yes. so um let's get to some of the details here the person sure. charged here is clemente flores hernandez who's 43 years old and he allegedly murdered his girlfriend attacked her son and then kidnapped the grandson police say that he shot the woman in the head and that then um he struggled with her son for the gun and then in this struggle, the, it either jammed, ran out of ammunition. I think there were a few shell casings that they found. And that the son, exp you know, as he's explaining everything to police, because of this struggle, um, he says that Clemente put him up against the wall, was strangling him. And he kind of, I don't know if you can say lost consciousness, but clearly was um, incapacitated but, for a little while. And then on. when he, right? And yeah, I guess that, yeah. that yeah. happens. Yeah. Um, and, and then when he kind of came to and gathered his strength again, then he realizes that his son is missing and has been taken by um, the man he says killed his mother. So right. he jumps in his car. This is now the adult son. He jumps in his car. Yeah. Chasing the man, following him and calling 911 <laughs> saying, I'm following a man. You know, I'm telling you, he shot my mother and he's got my son in in his car. Right. So uh, unbelievable. And, you know, it's a dangerous thing to go after someone. But I don't know, Rich, had he not done this, would he have been able to give, would the police have been able to find this man that quickly and make sure that child was not killed? Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that could have happened. I mean, he was eastbound and, you know, could have been out of the state of Colorado before law enforcement even caught up to this guy. I, I don't know if you would have killed the grandson. Uh, I don't know what his intentions were. The son, the adult son here of the victim, because no one's name ha has been released here. He said he was downstairs in the basement with his son. This would be the grandchild. Right. And that mom <laughs> called up for dinner, said, come on up. Little boy goes up. Son stays downstairs and he hears gunshots. He runs upstairs, and that's when he sees mom shot in the head. He's struggling with the man, with Clemente, to get the gun out of his hand, you know, and then we pick it up from there where he kind of passes out for a few minutes, and when he comes to, Clemente's taken off with his with his child. It's, it's 
it's unbelievably shocking. And the, the timing of this is interesting, Rich, because the Denver police, this is all in the probable cause affidavit, said that they received the 911 call at 8.15 and that within a few minutes they were there and that the mom was then pronounced dead at 8.29. So we're literally talking about, what, 20 minutes here? Yeah, uh, I mean, 8.15 and then 8.19, they're at the residence, but he's in the car. Like, the, they're already, the, the problem is already out of the residence uh, and on the highway and creating that second scene situation. And uh, we have the uh, age, 43, assuming that the deceased girl uh, is in her 40s. So this, the son, it can't be that old. He's got to be in his early 20s. Uh, so he's a young man himself dealing with his all of his mother's trauma and and also defending his son's life in addition to that uh, oh. and, and and his own life. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, it, it was a horrific scene. So as he's following, you know, he's telling 911 where uh, Clemente is, what kind of car he is driving and it all ends on the i-70 if you can imagine this on interstate 70 they police threw down stop sticks which i guess are like spikes that come up and they 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 puncture they puncture tires yep and uh it's designed so that it brings the car to a controlled stop and one of the things i had i had a thought in my head is when we had to activate them ourselves we have to let the know the pursuing police vehicles know that the strips have been deployed and where they are so they know to avoid them. Because if it happens all in a, in a bang, bang, t- you know, time frame, there isn't time to notify them or to get out of the way. And sometimes the police vehicles are also are, you know, become victim of those spike strips. Wow. Yeah. And on an interstate, I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to be that much easier on a neighborhood street, but, you know, it's a lot of cars moving quickly. And this is what, 830 at night? There are a lot of people on the freeway at that time. The officer has to go to his trunk, open the trunk, and it's like rolled fire hose and you roll the spike strips out. And the other thing is, uh, I'm sure it's at least a two lane highway, if not more. You have to get the right lane in which the bad guy's going to be in in order for those strips to be deployed and, and have an effect. Well, finally, about 28 miles away on the interstate, it the deployment of those spike strips worked and he got out of the car. He got Clemente got out of the car, according to police, holding the victim's grandson, the woman who's been murdered, in his hands. He's taken into custody. The child's not injured. The father survived as well. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting, though, in the affidavit, it says that the adult son then had to go and pick out Clemente from a lineup at oh, the no police lineup. department. Really? D- um, is that necessary I, I, at this point? I think I think the law, the law enforcement wanted to make sure uh, that they also had the actor for the crimes back at the house. Uh, I, I think it, you know, it, it, it could be assumed that he's the bad guy in this case, but I think they were just uh, getting all their ducks in a row, if you will, because there's still evidence. You're still going to have to present this case in court. And as you know, you just can't uh, explain it, in, you know, uh, in, in, a, in a brief summary 
and expect that to go over as evidence in a, in a trial. Sure, sure. Uh, I just meant, you know, so much has happened. It was such a traumatic event. Your mother's just been killed. Uh, <laughs> your son, you know, you were afraid that was going to happen to your son, and you barely got away because, thank God, the, the, the gun either jammed or ran out of bullets. So that that's a lot of trauma in one evening for one human being to absorb and a lot of loss. So, but I understand you're right. They, you know, they, they probably wanted that for probable cause for the uh, murder warrant. That's probably why they did that. Okay. So we now have um, Clemente Flores Hernandez. He's facing charges of first degree murder, first degree attempted murder, First degree kidnapping currently being held without bond. It is now time for our comments section. These are the crime cases you all are talking about on social media. And here's our producer, Will Updike. Hey, Will. Hey, Anna. Hey, Rich. Good to see you. How's it going? Hey, Will. How's it going? Doing well. Doing well. So we have kind of, if you watch this segment, one of my favorite genres of crime, which is a a fast food fiasco. Uh, This case comes out of Augusta, Georgia, where a 50 year old woman was arrested after she allegedly drove her car into a Popeye's restaurant because her order did not have any biscuits in it. Now, this alleged crime took place on Saturday, February 18th. And our suspect here, Belinda Miller, reportedly placed an order at a local Popeye's on Walton Way. And she became upset after seeing her order did not include the Popeye's, you know, famous biscuits. Everybody knows these biscuits. They are the um, best biscuits ever. They I, are my favorite biscuits. I agree. I would go as far as to say I think that they are the best fast food like bread item. I, I can't think of like for me, there's not a better one. But anyways, uh, she places her order there. She gets in her car. Um, she, you know, reportedly realizes it finds out that they're not in there. And she crashes through the restaurant's doors and walls. And if like the initial impact isn't enough, reportedly she she continued another few feet after she'd already crashed into the place. And she apparently didn't stop driving, allegedly, this SUV until there was debris in the building that physically present like prevented her from driving any further. Um, now, authorities are saying that she allegedly almost hit an 18-year-old employee with her SUV. And there was later an incident report that that was made public. Some news outlets picked it up. And a witness who had been standing online with the suspect here, Belinda Miller, told the establishment to hurry up and get their order because she was coming back. Like, they kind of saw this brewing all along this sort of ordering process. But along in that incident report, Uh, There is an allegation from the manager that prior to this crash, they had done their best to correct this mistake by giving Miller her biscuits. But the manager said she was reportedly still not happy. uh, And, you know, she had said previously that she would drive her vehicle into this building. Um, She had also reportedly, uh, you know, threatened other employees of this establishment in the past. Uh, So after this crash happened, she allegedly fled the scene, uh, but officials located her car, which, you know, had a clear amount of damage (laughs) to the front. It was covered in biscuits. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was it was parked at her house. Uh, So she was taken into custody on February 22nd on charges of criminal damage to property and aggravated assault. Now, got a lot of comments on this one. So people have some differing uh, sort of ideas of this reaction. REM said, I suppose the biscuits are just that good, which I, you know, I don't know about crash clearly hasn't had the biscuits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to try the biscuits. May, maybe haven't had the biscuits and you got to do the butter. And I like a little bit of honey that they'll give on there for you too. It's just, Ooh, it's so good. 
But John C said, why would she damage her own car over biscuits? That's going to cost way more than it's worth, which, I get, you know, once again, it just depends on how bad you want those biscuits. We had a uh, commenter, Bob, sort of wondering if she had any other reactions like this prior to this incident. Bob said, I'd hate to see how she'd react if an air stewardess forgot to give her a packet of peanuts. Uh, you know, no, no idea on how that would plan out, although. I haven't had peanuts on an airplane in, I, I, you know, more than a decade. I, I think that's kind of, I think, I think it would be pretzels now, probably. Pretzels. It's mostly pretzels. It's now. mostly yeah, pretzels. Yeah, because a lot of peanut allergies. Yeah, you get the, you get the pretzels, or you get the little biscuits. That's, that's, that's what we do now. But anyways, Jason L said taking drive-through to a whole new level, which <laughs> it, Popeye's drive, Popeye's drive-through is a, is a great time. Haley M uh, had a had a pun, which you know is always going to be my favorite. Uh, they said she really took kneading. Some biscuits to a whole new level, K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G. I love it. But yeah, that it, you know, it's it's just such a bizarre thing. And we'll have to have we have a friend on the show, Rich, who is a is a criminology uh, professor. And I've got to get some more details on on the, the amount of crimes going on in, in fast food restaurants and, and just w- what is contributing to all of this. It's I like know. you said, like people are valuing things less and less. And it seems like. I, they ha- they lose all sense of you know like right and wrong sometimes in a in a fast food situation. Always, I am able to step back and say that I I haven't I've had the biscuits because I've had I've had some of the meals. I love the chicken, but I'm not uh, overwhelmed by the biscuit brouhaha <laughs> to to the point that I can step back and say this woman drove her car through a building. Like when, at what point did she think that that was ever going to be okay? Uh, Is is there a fast food item you would maybe drive through a building for? All right. You got me there. All right. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. Look, I I could say something similar to their chicken. It's great tasting. You know, you can, there's a, there's a food obsession with it. Uh, It's just the way, the way that they bread it, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, <laughs> We're losing Rich in the breading here. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm 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 just looking at. I don't want to get political at all. Not just touch on. I don't want to get. But as a society, we've lost the value of consequences for your actions. Like, like, forget the 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 love of biscuits and chicken for a second. She ran her car into a building. At what point did she ever think that that was going to be okay? Yeah. Well, thank, thankfully, just no one was hurt. No, yes. no one ended up hurting all this. Even, even her, like, I mean, she could have even sustained a serious injury or something. We don't even know. But uh, luckily, that wasn't the case in this one. And it, and we see this all the time. And I know this is obviously Will's favorite genre of crime is the fast food person flips <laughs> out because they don't get. Usually, it's the sauce. Almost always, it's the freaking sauce. Either for the what are the little chicken fingers at McDonald's? The nuggets, nuggets. you know, whether it's the nuggets <laughs> or what that, that's what or or it happens at the Waffle House at four in the morning. You know, God bless everyone who works at the Waffle House. By the way, they have the best grits. They have the best grits. And, and Popeye's has the best biscuits, in my humble opinion. Oh, my Lord. People have just uh, lost their minds. They, they don't have any respect for people that work in these fast food no, places. No, they work so that, that, hard. They're human beings. They're, you know, you know, usually uh, they're younger and they're just trying to get started, trying to make some money, you know, uh, for the week, allowance money, whatever the case may be. There's no right to disrespect. Like, 
you see people throwing food back into the drive-through and uh, you know a much much less violent than driving your car through the building but i you know it's just total lack of respect for other people places and things i, I you know uh, i i hope we're not going to continue in that direction at some point we have to be held accountable for our actions Yes. Yeah. Never mess with the people that make your food. No, no, they work hard. Uh, well, Will. And Will, I have to ask you, how is it going with our search? <laughs> yep, I'm reaching out to people via email. We're going to have people send in a little video, if you're willing to, about uh, you know how you enjoy the show. And then we're going to feature uh, we're gonna feature at least one of you, maybe a couple of you uh, on one of these segments. So go ahead and send those over. Um, if you look in the comments section on last week's video, there's a form you can fill out so we can get in touch with you. I'll also post that in the, on, in the pinned comment on this video. And we haven't seen any tags this week. Uh, if you'd like to tag us on Instagram or Twitter, that is at Prime Watch Daily. Uh, we'd love to know how you watch or enjoy the show. But that is going to do it for me this week for our comment section. I'll see you all next week. All righty. Bye, Will. Bye. Well, Rich, like I said at the top of the program, I, I just want to take a moment to remember Mark Heimbaugh, who is 11 years old, who disappeared from... Delhaven, New Jersey, on November 25th of 1991. I remember that day vividly. I went there to the massive search scene when Mark disappeared. It was a very, very cold day. I was working for a Philadelphia TV station, and I was assigned to cover South Jersey, and this was my beat. And, you know, you have never given up. His mother, Maureen, has never given up. He still has a father, Jody, and a brother. And, you know, we've done a special podcast just on this case that you all can find on YouTube, an in-depth look at this case. I just, Rich, we've had so many conversations about this. We've had so many people reach out either to me, to you, to Luis Bolaños. We've gotten on calls, the three of us. We have every credible tip that we have received. We have turned over to the police since we did that podcast more than a year ago. And some good, good tips, not crazy stuff, but really good, credible stuff, credible yeah. tips. Yep. Rich, yep. I'm just, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I can help. How is this case not solved? What happened to this child? Well, first, let me say, Anna, you, you talk about my passion for the case. And, and I have to say that you have the same, if not more, uh, interest and desire in, in, you know, doing right by Mark, an 11-year-old boy who was taken from his home. Uh, November of, of 21, we did that podcast, over 150,000 views, uh, that tremendous exposure. And you're right, we, we received a number of solid tips in this case. And because I am a civilian, I, I, I worked 25 years in law enforcement, um, I was a member of the police department that, you know, that the case is generated from, but I do not have direct access to the investigation. The best that I can do is no more than you. And that's turn that information over to the Heimball task force, which currently is the Cape May County prosecutor's office and the middle township police department. Uh, and as needed, the state police, the FBI also get involved and, and uh, you know, extend that, that reach that they have throughout the country where they're following up leads. But I can't do any more than you and provide that information. I mean, you even offered that contact with Othram Labs uh, with the degraded DNA. And I really think that something could happen with his, with the sneaker 
that was found on a beach from that lab. And uh, I we we were told that that sneaker was going to be submitted along with some other DNA evidence. And I don't know that it has and if it has what the results are. I, I've tried to get information out of the cold case unit. You know, we always get told the same the same thing. Now, I'm not trying to be disrespectful here, but we've been hearing for a long time, oh, yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. Really? I, I do believe, I, be, I just don't believe that there is the political will, that there is the will to solve this case. I, I'm, we never found his body. There were... Um, you know, we've uncovered since that time period, we've gotten very credible information. You and I and Lewis have been on multiple conference calls with people who grew up in that area yes. who have told us personal stories that can be corroborated that there was a pedophile ring in operation in South Jersey at that time. And there were multiple, multiple child sex offenders who at that time really didn't have to be registered. We didn't have that back then in, in 1991. And so I, I just, it was a perfect storm. The child disappeared. We don't know what happened to him. Somebody must know something. And it haunts you know, me. Uh, you, you know, to that end, Anna, the, over, the overall structure of the case, um, uh, Thomas Bud Cabbage looks like a strong suspect as far as physically abducting Mark. Uh, he's denied it. His lawyers have denied it. Um, and he's sitting in state prison until 2035. He's eligible for parole now. He has been since 2017. He, he could be paroled. Uh, I don't think he will be based on the crimes he committed to get into prison. But his max date is 2035. And uh, he's not talking. Uh, we've reached out to him several times before I retired in 2010. We went to uh, the prison that he was in at the time in Pennsylvania. And um, he said, uh, you're going to have to talk to my lawyer based on the way I was treated in 93 in interviews getting, you know, uh, by the Heimball task force and others. Um, he did not want to be any more cooperative, any further in our, in our case. And, um, uh, there's, there's reasons why he may not want to, and I don't want to get into that here, mm -hmm. but, uh, he's, he's a suspect in the case. It isn't like we have no idea. He's, he looks, he's a child molester who molested three boys after Mark. Um, so yeah, he's he was strong... convicted on so many counts of, um, child pornography right. and child sex assault. That's why he's in a prison and we're not going to rehash the entire case here, but but he is a very uh, strong suspect, according to authorities. And having Correct. read some of the records in this case, um, you know, he in the polygraph test, right, he denied having been anywhere near South Jersey for like, I don't know how many years. And right. after we did our podcast, Rich, a lot of people came forward and they contacted one of us, all of us to and could state that they saw him at least as close as one week or that week was in the area when Mark disappeared. And what did we do? We turned that over to police because the people who contacted us said, we tried to tell the cops that at the time, but no one would take us seriously. Yeah, I, the, the issue with Bud Cabbage and not charging him is, as of now, there's no direct link to him and the case. 
even though he has that molester profile. Uh, but since the podcast, like you're saying, uh, there's been information and people have come forward. I, I know he's been in the Cape May County area more than he let on. He had a Gateway 26 uh, to- arcade token, which is a very popular arcade on the boardwalk during the summers in Cape May County. And uh, in this, the search in 1993, that was found in his apartment. So he has connections and he's been to Cape May County more than he's let on led us to believe but that direct link of him to the crime of of mark's disappearance has not been made yet and that's that's the hang-up between present-day law enforcement and pineball task force investigators of the past well thank you so much for not giving up on this uh i i i know how hard you work at this constantly and you've provided incredible information to authorities just even in the last six to eight months and uh i remain hopeful i remain hopeful that we can solve this case and bring justice for mark heimbaugh and his family they deserve justice in this case it's been too long Thank you. And if I could just get a quick plug in, Anna, if people want to read my book, this is what it looks like. If they go to Amazon.com and just type in, where is Mark? Look for this green cover book. Uh, It's very easy to find. Uh, And it's the price is $19.91 because that is the year that that he disappeared. Uh, Lastly, uh, the show People Magazine Investigates had been down in in Cape May County in November, and they're putting a show together on the story of Mark's abduction. Look for that on the ID channel in June. Uh, In addition to your podcast from November 21 is still on air, so people can review that or see that and still comment or uh, give us information in the case. And I 1,000% thank you and all of your staff for, for helping to keep Mark's story alive out there. And Anna, you always give me credit but your passion and fire is there above me. You were there from day one, as you said. I always feel bad. I feel like, I've said this before, I feel like I I failed Maureen, his mother. Like, I failed her, that we all failed her. We all feel this. Everyone who was either there on the search team or was there as a reporter, um, it happened the week of Thanksgiving. I honestly feel like I have failed her. Like, how can I do what I do better? What can I do to help this family? How can we make this not right? You can't make it right, but how can we get an answer for this family? Anna, Anna, you're, you're saying you failed her, but look, that was 1991, and look at you today. You are still passionately fighting for, uh, you know, finding more. I mean, even to this day in 2023. So the failure is not what I think of when I think of you and, and your uh, time and devotion to this case. Not at all. Not at all. I, I just wish I'd been maybe better at my job. Maybe if I'd just been smarter and more mature, and maybe if I'd asked something, or maybe I'd seen something. I don't know. How we, do you think we feel in law enforcement? Exactly. And mine is just a minor part of that. Exactly. I, I get it. I get that. And that's something that this community that I carry with me, no matter where I have moved to, no matter where I've worked as a reporter, I carry the loss of this community with me. And we all do, everyone who's worked this case. So prayers always 
for this family and for this child. Thank you child. for all your so, coverage, Anna. Thank you for all the coverage. Thanks, Rich. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Always love to hear from you. Need a little dose of reality <laughs> from South Jersey. Keeping it real here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So you can find this episode and all episodes of our podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, more than 5 million subscribers there. We even have uh, a newsletter. You can subscribe at truecrimedaily.com. You can find me at Anna G News on all social media. So until next week, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime. <laughs>